Well, welcome back. Conference was fun. Hey, Caleb Mitchell looked really good up there in the choir, swaying back and forth. That was great. Guys, Michigan State represented in Iowa. Am I right? Okay. Definitely, definitely the most hype group there. We caught some shade from a very bitter Florida State fan, but uh, well represented. Hate us because they ain't us. Okay. Conference was great. I'm glad you're there. It was a good time. If you've not already heard, uh, you got to come next year. 2025. Going to be a good time. Best one yet. Hey, if we haven't met, welcome. Uh, I'm Zach. I'm the director here. Excited that you're back. Tonight is a great night to jump in to Saw Company 2024. Tonight, we're kicking off a brand new series. And in order to do that, I actually need you to grab your Bible or grab, grab your app and turn to the table of contents. This is going to be helpful for you tonight. Get to the table of contents. Well, if you're anything like me, there are some books in the Bible that uh, are strange, that you just skip over, not quite sure what's going on in these books. Well, I want to kick off the year looking at some of these books. And so for four weeks, we're going to go through a series called The Minor Prophets, where we're going to be looking at a few books in the Bible that typically get overlooked, skipped in the Bible reading plan, and they're called The Minor Prophets. Prophets. There's actually 12 books that fall into this category, the minor pro prophets. And they're not called minor prophets because they're some sort of like lesser prophet. They didn't make the varsity squad. No, no, no. They're just smaller books, like in depth. Like they're not as long as Isaiah, the prophet, or Daniel, or Jeremiah. Like they're less books, more like blog posts in ancient Israel, but they packed a punch. We're not going to go through all 12 prophets, but just four over the next week. And so here's a question I want to ask, Zach, why in the world start the year looking at these minor prophets? Like why kick off the year looking at these obscure books? Well, first, a few reasons. First of all, we want to be whole Christians that know the whole Bible. And in order to know who God is, it's helpful to actually read the entire book. So of course, we want to read the history, the gospels, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Proverbs, the songs, but we also want to know who these prophets are and what God spoke through them. The second reason why we're studying these books is because you're going to realize pretty quickly that the time that the prophets were speaking in, the culture, is a lot similar to ours. In fact, it's eerily similar to ours. The same stuff going on in ancient Israel is happening today in America. And the prophets of God spoke the truth of God to the people of God who were doubting the goodness of God. So if you're here tonight and you're doubting the goodness of God, or the truth of God, or the existence of God. The prophets are going to be helpful for you. And the third reason we're studying the prophets is, is because this, the prophets are pretty wild. And God had them say some pretty wild stuff, but he also had them do some pretty wild stuff. If you've read the prophets at all, things get pretty wild pretty fast, okay? Isaiah like runs around naked half the time. Ezekiel, the prophet, had to lay on his side for 390 days without moving. He had to like eat a book, a scroll. If you read it, it's kind of crazy. Jonah had to go inside a fish. The prophets had to do some pretty crazy stuff, but there is not a prophet who had to do something crazier than the prophet that we're going to look at tonight. And it's the first prophet mentioned in the Minor Prophets, and his name is the prophet Hosea. So if you have your Bible or in the table of contents, I need you to find the small book, Hosea. Hosea is an interesting book. It's got a dozen or so chapters, but really, if you can catch the first three chapters of Hosea, you'll catch the whole book. And so I want to show you the first three chapters. And I chose this book on purpose to be the very first book that we studied this semester. 
Because more than any book, perhaps the book of Hosea will show you the seriousness of your sin, but also the depth of the love of God. Like I'll never forget when I first heard a message on the book of Hosea. This is a unique book and it changed my life forever, the way that I see God and see myself. And my prayer tonight is that God would do the same in your life. In fact, the same message that I heard years ago, I'm pretty much just preaching the message and hoping and praying that God would show you the love of God, perhaps in a way you've never seen before. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. God, would you help us grasp the love of God? In Jesus' name, amen. Hosea chapter one, verse one. This is what it says. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Okay, a bit of historical context. I won't bore you with it. Okay, Hosea lived in the time that the kingdom of Israel was split in two. Okay, think of this like, Thousands of years ago, the kingdom of Israel had a civil war. There's a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea is in the northern kingdom. It's about 720 BC. So it's like 400 years after David, 700 years after Moses in the Exodus. And in this time, in the northern kingdom, for about 200 years, they have been going absolutely nuts. Like the people of God are rebelling like crazy. They're off the deep end. They're worshiping idols. And so what does God do? He raises up Hosea to speak to them. And look at what God tells Hosea to say, or better yet, what he has Hosea do. And buckle up because the language is at least PG-13. This is what it says, verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of promiscuity, or literally a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Pause. That's his assignment. Dude, straight out of seminary, like young, fresh, ready for his assignment from God. All of his friends are getting all these cool assignments. Isaiah gets to do this, and this is his assignment. You ready? go marry this promiscuous woman. She's going to cheat on him repeatedly. Go marry a woman who's going to wreck your family and ruin your life. Go marry a whore. What an assignment. Why would God tell his prophet to do this? Why make Hosea do this? Well, look at verse two. It says it. It says, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so there's actually two stories going on in the book of Hosea, and you got to see it. There's the one actual story, the marriage between Hosea and his wife, okay, with real kids, a real home, real family, and real struggles, but also a second story that the first story is pointing to. And that story is the people of God with God. And so God is going to illustrate his relationship with his people through Hosea's relationship with his wife, like a drama or a play. We got any theater people in the house? Any theater people, proud theater people? <laughs> Shout out, okay. It's gonna be like a drama or a play. It's a symbol, but here's the deal, guys, check it. For Hosea, this isn't gonna be some act, and it's not just for show. This is his life. 
And so while most prophets kind of get away with just having to use their words to speak God's truth, Hosea has to use his life to demonstrate the truth of God. God says to him, hey, I'm not just going to use your words, Hosea. I'm going to use your life, your wife, your family, and your home. I'm going to tell the people about the pain that I feel. I'm going to put you through the hell that the people of God are putting me through by betraying me again and again. You're going to know what it's like to be married to an unfaithful wife. And so without much explanation and no time to offer some sort of like suggestions to God, this is the command that God gives Hosea to go marry this woman. Keep reading, look at verse three. And so he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay, a few things here. First of all, these names, bro. What's going on here? Okay, Gomer. Anybody named Gomer in here before I absolutely trash it? Oh my gosh. It's not, a, it's not just celebrities who name their kids silly names. Okay, Northwest. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Dude, I read Elon Musk named his kid X-A-E-A-X-I-I, whatever that means. Okay, and here we got Gomer. Who, don't name your daughter Gomer. Uh, she'll be single her whole life. Gomer. <laughs> That's a story, man. Who names their, their daughter Gomer? It says it here, Diblame. Okay, wild. Okay. <laughs> but here's, guys, here's something else you got to see here. <laughs> Don't do it. Hosea, he marries Gomer. And what's crazy is they actually try to pull the marriage off. Like they have a real run at a real marriage here. They're having kids. Let me look at this. They, they're having kids, verse three. They have a son and they give him a name, Jezreel. And then verse six, a daughter comes later onto the scene. And then verse eight, another son. Boy, girl, boy, it's like one big happy family, so it seems, right? But scholars, as they study this text, they actually point out something interesting here. They look at verse 3, verse 6, and verse 8 with the three kids, boy and girl, boy, and there's something different about the language. You see verse 3, it's the only one that says Gomer bore a child to Hosea. You see that? Why is that? Because when you marry a promiscuous woman, you never know 100% who the father is. So there's three kids here. It says Gomer conceived in verse 6. And in verse 8, we don't know who the father was. And so we know from the story so far that maybe she was faithful for a little bit. Like they had a kid and, and maybe things were going fine. Maybe they were going to make it. Hosea is looking up. Then perhaps she started going out some nights. Maybe she's missing here and there. She tries to slip back into the bedroom while Hosea's asleep. And then she's unfaithful for a little bit, but she's still around. But by the time we get to chapter two, she's gone. She's a sex addict and she goes back to her drug of choice and she leaves. This is the story of Gomer. And this is the story of Hosea. Now try to imagine this for a moment. Okay, imagine if you're Hosea, like take a step into the story here, get into his shoes. Imagine what you would do. Okay, you're a well-known, respected religious dude in your hometown. Okay, very influential, very respected, you're godly. And then all of a sudden word gets out that you got married. So everybody's excited. Oh my gosh, Hosea's got married. I wonder who the lucky girl is. But then they see you with Gomer. And they start, the name, the name got you guys again. <laughs> but imagine they see you with her and they start asking, the questions start coming, the gossip goes, wait a second, Hosea? 
is with her? Gomer? Like the one, and they start, like the one who's been around, they start asking the questions. Why is he the man of God with Gomer? And the rumor spread, your wife's crazy. And you got three young kids that you love, even though as they get older, two of them stop looking like you. But you still love them and you've got questions. And all of a sudden, things with Gomer go from good to bad, from bad to worse, and one day she's gone. Like one day you wake up early and she's not in bed. She's not out running errands. She's not downstairs. She's not with the girls. She's gone. And you're freaking out, trying to figure out where she went, and then the kids wake up. One by one, they come down, boy, girl, boy. They start asking questions. One's hungry, one's crying, and then the older one asks you the question you're afraid to answer, where's mom? Where is she? And even though you don't know where she is, you do know what she's probably doing. And so you're a single dad with three kids. Your worst day becomes your worst week, and then the worst month of your life. You got no clue what's going on. And you have to show up to the synagogue, to church, with three young kids as a single dad. And you're supposed to be some respected guy in the community, and you don't even know where your wife is, but some of the men do. It's dark, and it's, it's a disgusting time. And not only that, everybody hates your kids. You know why? Because their names are symbols of God's judgment on his people. The first one, Jezreel, the son. Jezreel, guys, that's a terrible name for a kid. You know why? Because that's the location of a massacre for the Jews. It would be like naming your son Sandy Hook or Columbine or being a Jew and naming your son Holocaust. You don't name your kid that. And then the second and the third names, literally, of the girl and the boy is no compassion and not my people. That's literally their names. Their names are judgments of God on the people of God, that he has no compassion for his people anymore. And not only that, they have rebelled so far from the home of God, they're not even the people of God. Those are the names of your kids. And so your wife is gone. Your kids are hated. But God has called you to love Gomer. You love her. So sometimes you even go out looking for her. And you go to the house of the man that you think that she's sleeping with. And because you love her, you drop off care packages on the, on the back porch with food and water and clothing because you love her and you want to provide for her. Even though she doesn't even know you're the one giving the gifts, she probably thinks the man that she's sleeping with is providing for her. But you love her. You love her. You leave notes for her. Gomer, I love you. I love you. Please come home. And this is the rest of your life. It's dark. And there's no end in sight. And that brings us to the end of chapter 1. And then we switch to the other story in chapter two. Because you remember the book of Hosea, there's two stories going on. This isn't just about Hosea and Gomer, but it's about God and his people. And so the metaphor carries on, and he's gonna use the real story of Hosea and Gomer to illustrate the story of God and his people. And in chapter two, and really almost all the chapters after it, God, through Hosea, it's just going to bring accusation and accusation of just how unfaithful they have been to God. This is what the prophets would do. Okay, they would speak God's truth. Sometimes they speak judgment. Sometimes they talk about the day of the Lord. Sometimes they would speak about the Messiah who's going to come one day. But oftentimes they would just lay accusation in front of the people of God of how unfaithful they are. 
And so here in chapter two, that's what happens. I mean, look at, look at the accusations God brings to Israel. Look at verse five. It says, for their mother, Israel, has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. Skip down to verse seven. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. Verse 10. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. Verse 13. And I will punish her for the feast days of the bells, when she burned offering to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Do you see the idea repeated here? Israel repeatedly ditched God, forgot God, and instead chased after her other lovers. Or in other words, Israel does to God what Gomer was doing to Hosea. And here's the deal for us today. The people of God back then, they aren't all that different from you and I. You see, we too have other lovers. I mean, it's the first week back from Christmas break. And I'm not sure how your break was, but I can remember my breaks in college and they weren't always the greatest when it came to faithfulness to God. Man, walking those old streets with old friends, out of East Lansing and out of routine, being in your past home with your past mistakes lurking around the corner. Like maybe you're coming into here like tonight, having the greatest Christmas break, or maybe it was the worst. And maybe you feel a lot like Gomer and Israel in this story, chasing other lovers. You see what's interesting about what God is saying in this text is that like the things Israel were running to, it's not bad stuff. Now we're talking about bread, water, drink. Listen, it's not that those things were bad things. That's not the issue here. No, the issue is that they love those things more than they love God. The issue is not that they were bad things. It's that they love those things most. That's what Israel was doing here. They made idols of those things. They moved God from first place in their heart to second. It's not blatant rebellion here. They just moved God down from first place to second place. And I'm telling you, that is the same with you and me. How often do we ditch God for the things that God provides for us? It's not, the issue is not the things that we desire. It's that we desire them most, that we move God out of first place. We make idols of all kinds of things. That's what an idol is. Anything that has first place in your heart that you go to with your affections and desires over God. So for example, when we're looking for pleasure in this world, we don't go to God, we go to sexual experience or entertainment. Or when we're looking for acceptance in this world, we don't go to God, we go to friends and family. When you're looking for significance, you don't go to God, instead you go to job or prestige or athletics. Or when you're looking for security, go to money or health, whatever it is, listen, the problem is not those things. It's that we love those things with a greater love. We make those things into idols. Their problem in Israel is our problem today. It's the human experience. We take good things and we make them into ultimate things without realizing that it was God who gave us those things in the first place. He left the care packages on our back porch. I've heard one pastor say it like this. The only thing you can count on with idols is that they will never fail to fail you. They'll always fail you. 
whatever the idols are. Listen, I don't know what the idols are in your life. I've heard it summed up best like this. Like there's four categories that idols can fall into. There's the idol of self, the idol of others, the idol of the world, and even the idol of religion. What do I mean by that? The idol of self, like you live your life pursuing your own pleasure and your own personal gain, and you worship yourself. Or the idol of others, like you live your life for the ple- like pleasing other people, and all you care about is what other people think about you, and you make their opinions idols in your life. Or the idol of the world. Think like whatever the world has to offer, all of its pleasure, food, drink, sex, adventure, travel. Or for some people, it's the idol of religion. It's kind of like twisted control, like I'll check the boxes off and then I'll make it. But it's an idol in your life. And like I said earlier, the only thing you can count on with idols, they never fail to fail you. You got to understand, like to the Israelites, they weren't just running around being heathens. You know who God's talking to here? Religious people. Like these are religious people he's talking to here. This is the people of God. Okay, this is why he says in verse 11, I will put an end to all of her mirth, her feast, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her appointed festivals. You know what that means? These guys are super religious. Their issue is not crazy rebellion. Their issue is they just moved God out of first place to second place. They made him like a vitamin that they take every once in a while, once a week, twice a week at salt. But the rest of the week, he's not the main thing. He's just the side thing. Idols are always fail you. But what's crazy is in the book of Hosea, is that we're not just idolaters when we sin. Like when you and I sin, we're not just idol worshipers or just lawbreakers. Like you break like the third commandment, like, oh, I'm a third commandment breaker. Like that's not all Hosea says. In fact, when we sin, what Hosea is gonna say is that you don't just break the law of God, but you break the heart of God. That spiritual idolatry is actually also spiritual adultery. This is what the Bible is saying here, that when you sin, man, you're not just breaking a law, you're breaking God's heart. This is the picture that we get here. Israel is in covenant relationship with God. You remember this, Mount Sinai. God enters into a marriage covenant with Israel. And he says, they do the vow thing. I will be your God, you will be my people. And what happens after that? Again and again, they ditch God and betray God again and again and again, they commit adultery on him. And this is what we're seeing here with Hosea and Gomer, the people of God abandoned them. And it's as if they're running out of the house like Gomer and whoring themselves out to the world. It's not just that they're breaking some rule, they're literally breaking the heart of God. And it's the same with us today. James 4, James, he says, you adulterous people. He calls the people of God adulterers, why? because we're not just breaking a rule. You're breaking the heart of God that us Christians in the room, when you become a Christian, you by faith enter a relationship with Jesus. And the picture of marriage in the New Testament is the same here. That as we come to Jesus, we're united with him. He is our groom and we are his bride. We've been united with him. And so when we sin, it's the same thing. It's adultery. Guys, imagine the pain. Some of you, some of you don't have to imagine the pain of adultery. Your life has been influenced by it. But imagine the pain you would feel or imagine the spit in the face my wife, Mally, would feel if I left her and had sex with another woman. She would feel pain, but she's not just gonna be upset that I broke the vow. 
like our vows, till death do us part. That's not going to be the only thing that hurt her. No, the worst part is going to be, I broke her heart. I tore her heart out. That's what it is with God. Listen to me. God, just because he's sovereign, he's holy, and he's different, doesn't mean he doesn't feel deeply when we sin. No, it grieves him. It breaks his heart. And yet, what we're about to see next in the book of Hosea is probably the greatest truth found in the Bible. That God's people may be unfaithful to God, but God will always be faithful to his people. And that leads us to chapter three, where we get one more glimpse of Hosea and Gomer. They're back. We're in chapter three. And one preacher, he says this. He says, Hosea three is the greatest chapter in the Bible. And I think you'll see why here in a moment. Hosea three, starting in verse one. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Oh my gosh, kind of weird. That ain't your grandma's raisin cakes, okay? That's, that's food sacrifice to false gods, okay? That's what's happening here. Verse two, and so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a letic of barley. So, okay, here's the deal. So first, God tells Hosea to go marry a promiscuous woman. And as if that wasn't bad enough, like enough difficulty and shame and heartbreak, now she's left him. Okay, she's gone. She's left him wifeless and left the kids motherless. And now God turns to Hosea. And you know what he says to him? Like, instead of saying, hey, you're good, dog, you tried. Like, you try your best. It's okay, you can leave her now. Forget about her. You know what he says? He turns to Hosea and he says this, go again. Go again. Go get her again. Go get Gomer. Listen, I'd be like, what are you talking about? You want me to go get her again? Like, I, thought, I thought we already did this thing. And now I got to go find her? But listen, Hosea, he goes. Why? because he loves Gomer. Now put yourself back in the shoes. Remember, this ain't some fairy tale or parable. Like the prodigal son, like Jesus tells parables. This is not a parable, this is real life with real people and real mess. And so put yourself back in Hosea's shoes. Where do you go? Like, where do you even start? You go walk around the streets? You stand on the corner? Like, who do you talk to? Like. Jose is in the red light district looking for a prostitute, trying to pick up his wife. Who do you talk to? Man of God walking the streets, going places men of God should not go and asking questions men of God should not be asking. And yet he finds her and apparently she's out of money and her new lover is done with her because now she's being sold as a slave. Okay, and some commentators say the language of verse two, it's like she's at an auction, like she's being auctioned off. And likely what would happen at these things is they would strip her naked to put her in front of people so people who are bidding on her could see what they're getting with. And so you got her here. Her beauty is gone. Her money is gone. Her dignity is gone. And she's standing there. How far do you have to spiral to sell yourself into slavery? And so just picture the scene here. 
Okay, Gomer steps up on stage. And these people, it's her hometown. Like, they know who she is. Gomer, wife of the prophet. Dirty, disgraceful woman. Woman who spent everything chasing after other lovers. Literally ruins everything she touches. Who wants this girl? And so a voice cries out. Who will purchase Gomer, daughter of the blame? Silence. Who would want this girl? Literally left her husband, left her kids, chased after these things, used all of her money, ruins everything she touches. Who would want her? And so a voice cries out again. Who will purchase Gomer, daughter of the blame? You can almost see it, can't you? Dude in the back steps out of the shadows and he raises his hand and he says, I'll buy her. It's Hosea, her husband, the heartbroken prophet. And he says, I'll buy Gomer because I love her. You know what happens next? He takes all of the money that he has Literally all the silver and all the barley that he has. That's what the language is saying. It's like saying, here's all the money I have and it's not enough. And so here's my watch. Here's the keys to my home. He empties his pockets to buy back his wife. And what happens next is crazy. He takes her home. He takes her home. And he doesn't stone her like the law says he could. And he doesn't even just make her a slave, although that would have been better for her. At least she would have been fed. But you know what she does? He takes her home and he loves her. He washes her off. He puts clothes on her back and he feeds her. And he looks her in the eyes. He says, you're beautiful. I love you, Gomer. Never leave me again. I love you. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Now go back with me just for a moment and think about Gomer on that stage. Think about what she was feeling. Like rock bottom, bro. Like she's ashamed and empty, tired of chasing, tired of running. I wonder how many of you in this room have been there. You ever had a Gomer moment? Any ever been there? like empty on the things that you're chasing, ashamed of what you've done. I mean, I remember mine. Freshman year of college, I got caught up doing things I'm not proud of with a girl I shouldn't have been with, doing things I shouldn't have been doing and chasing things that'll never satisfy me. Chasing idols in my life, financial success, personal significance, they became idols in my life. And while on the outside, I look fine. On the inside, empty, ashamed just like Gomer. I wonder how many people in this room have been there. Can you remember your Gomer moment? Maybe it was 10 years ago for some of you. Maybe it was over Christmas break. Shoot, maybe you're in it. Maybe you're in your Gomer moment. Tired of running, tired of chasing things that won't satisfy, empty and ashamed. If that's you, the book of Hosea is good news this good news for you because hopefully you're catching on because there's a third story happening in the book of Hosea. You see this story, it's not just Hosea and Gomer. It's not just about Israel 
and God. No, there's a third story happening here in the book of Hosea. It's not just Hosea and Gomer. It's not just God and Israel. No, no, no. It's Jesus and me. And it's Jesus and you. Jesus is our Hosea. And we are Gomer. As funny as the name is, that's the state of our heart that Jesus is our Hosea. What Hosea did for Gomer, Jesus did for me. Go get him and go again. And when I run off, you know what God says? Go again, go again. Every time Zach chases idols, go again. Every angry thought, every prideful thought, every lustful thought, go again, Jesus. Every slip of the tongue, Every outburst of anger, go again. I love what one pastor says. He says, the Christian life, it's not us going again and again to God, but instead God through Jesus Christ coming again and again to us. That's the gospel message. Jesus is our Hosea. And I want so badly for him to be yours. But Jesus can't be your Hosea until first you admit that you're a gomer. That you got nothing left. You got nothing to offer. Listen, you can't hide from Jesus. In the same way that when Gomer was on the stage fully exposed, you and I are fully exposed to God. He sees everything. And while that might be a scary thought, it's also a good thought because that means his love for you, it's not a naive love. And it's not a love based on ignorance. No, 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 guys. He sees every part of you and he still says, I'll buy them. I want her. This is the love of God through Jesus Christ for you. He wants you. He sees every part of you. And he says, I want you. That's the story of God's love for us. And at the heart of Hosea, the book of Hosea, there's two things I see on full display and I want you to see it. If you can see these two things, I think it'll change your life forever. The first is this the seriousness of sin, and the second, the depth of God's love for you. The seriousness of sin and the depths of God's love for you. First of all, the seriousness of sin. Like we looked at earlier, we're not just committing idolatry, we're committing adultery. You guys know what the punishment for adultery was in ancient Israel? Death by stoning what they would do is they would take the guy or the girl out of the city, they would surround her, and they would pick up rocks and throw them at her until she bled to death. Death is the punishment for sin. And it's the same for sin today. But guys, not physical death, something more worse or something much worse than physical death, spiritual death. This is what the Bible says that the consequence of sin is not just physical death, but it's spiritual death apart from God forever. The wages of sin is death. You wanna know how serious it is to commit adultery against God? Death was the punishment. The wages of sin is death. But there's a tension here. There's a tension in the book of Hosea and there's a tension in the Bible. And the tension is this, the law of God tells you what you deserve, but the love of God wants to bring you home. And so how can the love of, or the law of God be satisfied and yet the love of God be displayed? You wanna know the answer? 
the cross. The cross. Because it's on the cross that the law of God was satisfied because Jesus died the death that you deserved, but also the love of God was displayed because he took your sin. The cross is simultaneously about the seriousness of sin and the depth of God's love for you. Listen, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. This is the love of God. And he will never stop winning your heart and trying to bring you home. Listen, Hosea, he may have endured the scandal of the village to buy back Gomer, but Jesus endured the shame of the cross to win you back. Hosea may have purchased Gomer with barley and silver, but Jesus has purchased us with death and his blood. You weren't bought with perishable things. You weren't bought with silver and gold. You were bought with the precious blood of the Lamb of God on the cross. It's a good news for us. If you've ever doubted the love of God, like if you've ever doubted that God would love you, if you're like, man, I wonder if God will take me back, the answer is yes. He does. He wants you back. There's always room in the kingdom of God for you. Listen, when I think of Jesus on the cross, like when I think of the fact that Jesus left heaven for me, the love that he has for us, because I can't even begin to describe the gratitude in my heart towards God. These words aren't enough. This sermon, all of the sermons I've ever preached pale in comparison with the love that he has for you. So much love. My heart is so cold compared to the depths and the blazing fire of love that he has for you and he has for me. What kind of love is this? Where are you going to find love like this? Romans 5 says this, that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, weak and ungodly, Christ died for the gomers. What's going to separate you from this love? Romans 8 says nothing can, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, not even chasing other lovers can separate the gomers from the love of God. Guys, I want all of you to know this love. I want everybody in this room, I want my wife to know this love. I want her to know the love of her greater husband, even when her earthly husband fails at it. I want EJ to know this love. I want East Lansing, Denton, Texas, Southeast Asia. I want everyone to know the love of God that he has for you, the love that's through the book of Hosea. He loves you. He loves you. So I got two final encouragements, the two types of people in this room. To the person who feels unworthy, unqualified, unlovable. Like you're sitting in this room, you're like, Zach, that's cool. But there's no way that God can love someone like me. Listen, if that's you, let me tell you, he does, man. He does. He turns to Jesus and he says, go, go, go die on the cross. Go rise from the dead for him, for her. He loves you. He loves you. And to the believer in the room, the one who knows the love of God, and yet you have been wooed by some other lovers recently. And so you're sitting here you're like, man, I know the love of God, but I still ditched him. And you're in the room tonight, 2024, thinking, will he take me back? Will he love me again? Guys, the book of Hosea and the Bible would say this. Yes, he wants you back. He'll totally take you back. He doesn't stand with his arms crossed. He stands with his arms wide. Come home. Would you do that tonight? Let me pray for us and we'll sing.
God, I'm so thankful for the book of Hosea. God, the perfect picture of the gospel message that we are Gomer, so attracted by the things of the world and by other lovers, and that even though we were made to know and love you, we chase the things that you've given us. God, our hearts are drawn to the things of the world. And so many of us in this room have tasted the emptiness, tasted the shame, and it pushes us into a dark, dark corner where we don't feel loved or even lovable by you. And so God, I pray for the people in this room, would they truly know the depths of God's love for them? And for the people in this room who've never placed their faith in Christ, who've never seen Jesus' love as the greater husband, the greater Hosea who comes for us, God, I pray that by faith tonight, you'd wake them up, help them see that they'll never find a love like the love in Christ. And God, to the believer in the room who knows you, who loves you, who's been to the mountaintop with you and yet somehow recently has abandoned you for lesser loves. God, I pray, help them see that your arms are wide. It's a long arm that can save. And God, I pray now that as we think about the gospel, think about the cross, that you would in our hearts well up a great heart of gratitude as we sing. It's in Jesus' name, amen.